0: Hi, my name is Pete, and I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Now, today's topic is Limits, God's Grace in Disguise, Part 2, and I chose this theme again because it's such a large leadership theme, actually from your teenage years all the way to when you die. And uh, young leaders, middle-aged, elderly people, it really is something that you and I will be dealing with up to our actually our very last breath. And for me, it has been one of the Major and continues to be one of the major uh, issues in my relationship with Jesus in terms of trusting Him versus rebelling against Him. And as I talk with leaders around the world, it really is uh, one of the greatest spiritual challenges for everyone. So, in part one, I, I talked about uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, his thorn in the flesh, and John the Baptist and their ability to embrace and integrate uh, their limits uh, and how they handled it it was actually quite beautiful and and I just you know I'm in this like every day and just even recently I've been so aware and have needed to get time with God in order to surrender to my own limits in terms of my my leadership now again we've moved our uh, ministry and our focus uh, once I left being lead pastor at New Life Fellowship uh, four and a half years ago, I became pastor at large and a and a teaching pastor. But the majority of my time is commissioned by our church to bring a discipleship that we call emotionally healthy discipleship to the world, and doing it his way, not the world's way. And it's a very it's been a very long, slow process to actually clarify. Uh, What does that mean to bring an emotionally healthy discipleship to churches and ministries and and leaders around the world and uh, getting clarity on that? And so, for example, we we put together a two-minute video uh, to be really clear on what that means. That two-minute video took me about 25 hours of writing. Uh, It's about 300 and, like, 20 or 30 words, and it took me 25 hours. I probably networked with a few other people for another 15, say 40 hours, and then we did an eight-minute video recently, eight to nine-minute video. It's not quite finished yet. It's been post-production, but that took me probably 40 to 50 hours of work, and then you had another 20 or 30 from other people, and just the patience involved in doing something of quality uh, has been such, such an experience, such a sobering experience, because a part of me consistently wants to rebel and say, God, this is ridiculous, and I get angry and pout and uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know the drill. So in this podcast, I want to focus on three biblical characters, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, uh, then Jesus briefly. And then I want to close with talking about David, King David uh, in 2 Samuel 12. And Because again, this topic is theologically so vast that we need to come at it from different angles uh, in order to renew our minds, shift our thinking, see it uh, Jesus' way versus uh, the world's way. So if you look in the Garden of Eden, uh, you know, God creates Adam and Eve, puts them in the garden, uh, creates this beautiful—it's called actually the Garden of God. That's literally what it means. And we don't know its precise location. It's a mystery. Some say Iraq. Some say Armenia. Uh, but God puts Adam and Eve in a world that's not their own making. Like He puts us in a world that's not of our own making. And he creates them from the dust of the earth, uh, and he commands them to work or to take care of the garden. And there's two trees in this garden, special trees in this garden. Uh, one is the tree of the of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, "Eat from any tree in the garden you would like, but this one tree of the gar- of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, do not eat it." And he, the Lord puts that tree right in the middle of the garden, right in the center. I I thought to myself, God, why didn't you put that tree like in the back? Where nobody could see it. Uh, So they've got tremendous freedom, and everything is beautiful and wonderful, and and they are to work. But they are not to eat from this one tree. A limit is placed by God. So here it is we cooperate with God and and we work. And again, we're in leadership. So uh, God's created us to work, God's a worker. So, so we have dreams, we're inventive, technology, poetry, architecture, literature, engineering, you know, government, sports, whatever it might be. But What a taste and master and enjoy our God-given freedom and power to work, to actually do. We bring order out of chaos. In fact, that word to create uh, and multiply and fill the earth is, is, is really literally in Hebrew, to cut a path through a virgin forest. So the fact that you're a leader, that's a good thing. Uh, and, and that you work. That's a good thing. But the key to this account of of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is they're given this freedom, but then they are given a limit. They are to stop. And no reason is given by God. Like here's this limit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God doesn't tell them, you know, all the reasons why he set this up this way. He just says, don't. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I want to know more. The knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is, I do want to know more. Where does this universe come from? What will it be like? Why was the earth created? What's the human race for? What's your very essence, God? I, I, I want to, in a sense, I want to know the infinite mind of God. And, and uh, you know, I like what Augustine once wrote. He says, if you understand, it is not God you understand. Or Aquinas said it this way, whatever can be thought or known is less than God himself. In other words, God is close to us, right? In Jesus, he's close to us. Uh, he's among us. But he's also incomprehensible, infinite. And so his mind, his intentions are unfathomable. And, and that's why, in principle, God is a hidden God. He's hidden, but he's revealed himself to us. And so no one can read God's mind. We have scripture, uh, except where he's chosen to reveal his thoughts. and uh, But the tree in the middle of the garden confronts Uh, Adam and Eve head on with the issue of authority. Uh, God's in charge, and and they're not. And they're to do, and they're to work. They're to be active, but then they are to let go. Uh, There is this doing and this letting go dynamic. They're to work, then they're to Sabbath. There's action, then we're to surrender. There's there's time for us to engage. There's a time for us to be letting go. There's a time for doing. There's a time for being. There's a time for being active. There's a time for being contemplative. It's a time for the city, in a sense, being in, in, in the city with people is a time to withdraw into the desert. So at the heart of original sin, of rebellion, is this refusal to accept this rhythm that God has set up of we do, we lead, but then we embrace limits that are set before us. Uh, and that's what makes, again, Sabbath so significant as a spiritual practice because we, we, we work six days, paid and unpaid, but then actually we're a commanded by God. We were wired, hardwired to actually stop. And uh, just like there's seasons and light and darkness, we're hardwired for this kind of rhythmic. And, and so even Jesus, if you look at him, he, he obeyed this this deeper rhythm. He would minister and, and work. I mean, think about it. He, and then he would stop uh, and he would go to a quiet place and pray and or be alone with the Father. But he embraced his limits as a God-man. Uh, living on earth. And so, uh, again, we struggle with this because we think, oh, the world's going to fall apart if I stop. You know, I'm indispensable. I've got so much to do. I'll get behind if I don't invest in the future. I've got these goals and projects. And uh, no, the Lord's saying, I I got control of the universe. I'm the Lord. And uh, there are boundaries to which you must bow. And as it says in Proverbs 26, 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. And uh, of course, Satan puts in our mind that God's holding back on you. He's ruining your life with these limits. He's not your friend. He's your enemy. Do it yourself, and then we grasp and we we just run through limits. We we run through red lights. We don't trust. We get suspicious of God. We get afraid, and uh, we the Bible calls we sin. Uh, I like Augustine's definition of sin. It's as sin is 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 caved in on itself. In other words. Rather than looking to God, we kind of like a black hole. We suck everything into ourselves and it's this, we refuse to listen. And sin really is a refusal to listen. Um, we say I'm the center of the universe. We get self-absorbed. Uh, but God is very serious about these commands, about limits, because God says to Adam and Eve, they're very in the garden. He says, if you eat from that tree, that limit I've placed before you, you will die again, not immediately. They don't die immediately, but, but actually it's later. And, uh, so so they as you know, they, they grasp for it. And, and so just think for a minute about how limits put before us that we just r- race through them, just like Adam and Eve did. We just we, we grasp that tree. And, you know, one, it could be we're pursuing a career, but it's a career driven out of fear or a new initiative and uh, we don't want to be seen as a failure. And we just, we just push through, even, even at the punishment of our bodies. Or even with our children, we want to get them into the best schools. And we, we, we're fear-driven about what could happen to their future. And we end up, again, getting involved with them in activities that God may not have for them at all. Or, or you know, if you're single, how many folks we give our bodies away sexually uh, outside the vow of a marriage because we think God's holding out on me. And I'm afraid, you know, I'll be alone the rest of my life. Or we want a relationship so bad, we we don't engage in healthy differences and conflict. We become uh, a false peacemaker. We appease, and and we think God's holding out on us. We just let it go, and and uh, you know, we cross the limit of saying, no, you're gonna you're gonna engage in this difference with this person in a healthy way. Uh, but again, you lose control at that point. What's God gonna do? Where's it gonna all go? And I think of many of the great. Christian leaders over uh, the last couple of generations who went beyond limits in doing a very good thing. And I, I think of the founder of World Vision, uh, you know Bob Pierce, who I and mean, founded World Vision, one of the greatest organizations um, in terms of serving the poor around the world. but um, you know he couldn't stop once he got going, he traveled 10 months a year. Uh, one year put a million miles on a, on his plane and his body was so damaged uh, he was hospitalized for a year by age 50. and um, so I mean the consequences to him physically his family his marriage were you know quite sad but he just he ran past the limit God had given him even just physically and emotionally and family wise but yet he was doing such a wonderful thing for God uh, again the great temp- temptation i I I can think of so many examples of myself, uh, of you know, leading. I uh, think of you know, pastoring our church, buying a building, and out of a wanting to reach more people for Jesus, and actually a little bit of fear in there of looking like a loser. You know, initiating additional services and making quick decisions, but really out of a fear deep down that maybe God was holding out on me. I mean, how many people quit following Jesus because they look at the wicked prospering around them, I think of Psalm 73 and the limit of not knowing why does it look like the evil prosper and I'm here following Jesus and things aren't going so great for me. And Psalm 73, this was the Psalmist struggle and it says this, until he entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood. And again, the issue of perseverance and patient endurance uh, as we follow Christ Most of us have a willful Christianity, not a a willing, I'll say it again. Most of us, we have a willful Christianity. In other words, we're very willful uh, versus surrendering, uh, a willing Christianity, surrendering to his love. That's why this verse, Genesis 2.15, where Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, and God says to them, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you are not to eat. From that tree, all of us before us, in our service as leaders to God, we have tremendous freedom and latitude. What God has given us, but then there is right in front of us, and there, and I, there always will be uh, a tree or a mo- a place that we can cross and violate limits. Uh, and uh, again, if you know the story of, of of Genesis chapter two and three, once they cross that limit, there's all kinds of destructive consequences. We are still bearing the consequence of their violation of limits that God had for them in the Garden of Eden. The second example I want to just touch on is Jesus. And, and Jesus is our second Adam. And the temptations of the wilderness, of the desert that's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are such, it's such a critical story that Matthew and Luke in particular spent a lot of space expounding on the temptations of of Satan to Jesus in that 40-day wilderness. And and Jesus, as our second Adam, he too had to joyfully and willingly embrace the limits of the Father and not grasp them. And if you, you know the story, because it, this issue of limits has to do with spiritual warfare and demonic powers. Uh, there are demonic powers that want to seduce you, that want to pull you to get out of what God has for you, go beyond your limits, even in a good thing. And even if it looks like it's helping people, but it actually damages you, damages the person, people around you, and damages the name of Jesus in the process. So, uh, you know, think of Satan in the wilderness with Jesus and says, turn these stones to bread. Now, at this point, Jesus hasn't done anything public. Nothing. Uh, his ministry hasn't started yet. And so it's basically prove that you're something, Jesus. You know, do something. And you all know that voice, as I do. It's, it's it's the voice of the culture that says you are what you do. And if you're not performing, you're, you don't have any worth or value. And so now Jesus has the ability to turn these stones to bread. He has the power. And, and so he, he embraces God's limit and doesn't do it. You see, the fact that you have a great opportunity before you uh, in your business, in your corporation, in your church, in your ministry, does not mean that that is God's will for you. It's all a question of what's he saying, his timing, and how he wants you to do it. And Satan is trying to get Jesus out of the Father's timing to cross limits. Then he says, you know, you jumped down from the temple, Jesus. You know, show everybody that you're, you're the son of God, because no one even knows who you are. And if God really loves you, he wouldn't put you in this bad spot. And again, it's a great temptation to cross limits. Jesus, and he quotes a Bible verse to him. And that's what gets really tricky. People can throw Bible verses at you to violate your limits. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And, and you know, with him I can scale a wall. And believe me, I was... This was my theology for the first 17 years of my Christian life. And it was very confusing because I I kept running into limits and having all these negative consequences, violating them and ending up in a mess. Because when you go beyond what God has asked you to do, you end up in the evil one's territory. And if you're like me and you can pause for a minute, all hell breaks loose. There's all its like things are just out of whack. And then again, Satan comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, just bow to me for a moment. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth right now. I'll give you everything now. You don't have to suffer, skip the hard thing. And um, again, Jesus surrenders to the limits of the Father. He's, he's, he's walking with the Father. He discerns that, and he, 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 in a sense, he walks away out of that desert. He's still, quote, before the world. Nobody knows who he is, uh, but he's about to launch on something great in the long term. So, again, this requires listening on our part. Uh, Jesus is immersed in Scripture, and he's also very discerning. Uh, You know, I I remember we had one of our leadership conferences uh, a number of years ago. Uh, We have a certain uh, capacity at the building uh, of our church here in Queens, New York, and we we were just kind of launching out. We had a lot of interest, and I went beyond our capacity in the building. In terms of you know people I think it was three hundred fifty people that we could actually fit and then be able to use the bathrooms, have lunch for a two day three day conference, and what happened was i just i I got greedy, I got lustful, and I remember convincing the people who were administrating at the time just all just leave it open and we added another hundred people, maybe one hundred fifty people, and it was a her it was a really Hard conference. Uh, it was. I mean, the administrators were burnt out. We didn't have the bathrooms for it, the space for it. I mean, it was just. It was so sad and stressful. But it was all over. I just went through a limit. Uh, of I didn't like the limit of our building. I didn't like the limit of size. I didn't like the limit of how much money we'd be taking. And I mean, there's just so many things. And I remember a, a pastor of a church upstate New York wrote me a letter, and she picked up on the franticness. Of the conference, like she picked up on the on on the spirit that underneath something wasn't right, and she she actually wrote me a very kind letter that confronted me on it about two to three weeks after the conference, and I I knew uh you know I, I knew I was off base, and it just broke me, and it, I know it was the hand of God lovingly speaking to me uh, about my rebellion, and that really what it was it was rebellion against the Father, and listening to His voice. All right, I want to, I want to uh, end our, our last, you know, five, ten minutes. I want to talk to you about a passage that I love, that I believe is a very important passage uh, to think about as you consider your life and limits. And it's a story of King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He, uh, this is recorded. He's at the height of his power the height of his influence as king of the nation of Israel. All right, this is this guy has just been so successful. He brought the ark back to Jerusalem. Everybody loves him. Uh, he's got wealth. He's got popularity. He's got power. Uh, he's got the greatest military of the Mideast at that time. And he says to the Lord, why should I be living in a palace while you live in a tent that's immovable? And uh, he asked God to build this great temple. And God says to him through the prophet Nathan, no, no, limit. You are not going to build this temple for me. In fact, uh, someone else will do it. My, Your son. Again, next generation. And uh, David does two things that are so amazing here. Uh, he, he bows before the mystery because God says no, and he doesn't explain why. He just says no. Uh, and he he trusts he just trusts god and, and his goodness and it's just an incredible passage of a of a deep spirituality because sometimes when god says no it's very obvious you know you know someone says i want to make 10 million dollars so i can show that i'm i'm somebody you know i want to smash that person and make them pay or i want to be you know, I want to play like Michael Jordan used to play, you know, or or LeBron James. I want to play basketball like that. I want to run a four-minute marathon. But, you know, so sometimes we know it's very obvious. The dreams we have are, are actually bad for us. They're arrogant. They're proud. Uh, you know, we love it more than ourselves. But then there's other times when, when we we ask things for God or we have opportunities and God just closes the door or he says no to us and and, you know, there's no explanation. And so I just want to take a moment, and I want to defend to you God's right to be mysterious. The gap between you and God is infinite. I want you to think about that. Uh, and think of the gap of, imagine, uh, my. I have a child who's two years old, and I'm in my 40s. And imagine this, that I'm trying to explain to my two-year-old about mortgage, about financial planning, about retirement, accounts. Uh, it'd be absurd because there's no way that two-year-old can understand the finances of a forty-year-old. Uh, well, that that's a gap, right? Of just it's a large gap. But imagine the gap between God, the infinite God who rules the galaxy and the universe by the word of His power, and us humans living on one planet called Earth in one particular moment in time and one particular place. In other words, God, we we can't possibly understand. What God is doing in the large sense of the word. That's why it says in Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Or Deuteronomy 29, 29 is a verse worth memorizing, which it says the the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law, law, law. I'll say it again. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Wow. Or, of course, Isaiah 55, verse 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then Romans 11, 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Uh, Those are four of my favorite texts because i so often i want to be god I, I want to like i want to make it happen i i am fully aware of my willfulness of wanting to violate limits rather than receive god's grace in them and it could go everything from in my in my early days i wanted to push to be multi sites um and you know be this over these multi sites and then realizing early on that uh, no god had a different path for me that was that was that for me was a limit I was to embrace out of who God uniquely made me, my temperament, my personality, my gifts, et cetera, et cetera. So when God says no, no, and you can't do anything about it, at least for now, the question is, what do you do? Uh, maybe again, you're rejected for a certain promotion or university or program, even a, even a marriage proposal. Uh, you know, What do you do? Do you bow before that? And say, okay, God, I have no idea what you're doing. I'm, I'm I'm wounded by this, or you know, you're single. You'd like to get married. And you're just like, you're just like you're waiting, or or you can't afford something, uh, but you really want to buy it, uh, or your your employer or coworker or employee isn't changing, or spouse or children, or or even even your body physically just can't you, you just can't support what you're doing. You find yourself exhausted. Uh, physically, um, I, I remember asking God before we bought our building, which was a, 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 a it was six and a half million dollar building, needed three to four million dollars worth of work. And I said, God, and I'd seen other pastors and leaders go through building programs, and I said, Lord, I'm asking you, I do not want to suffer. I said, I, I don't even want to buy a building, but I know it's got to get done for the sake of the long term health of our church. So, Lord, if you're going to have me in this thing, I'm asking you that it be painless and it be quick. And it was neither. It was extremely painful, and it was not quick. Uh, And God said no to my request of not suffering in that process. Uh, It was really, really painful. And um, you you may be a celebrity. You may be a person who has got a very large platform in your field. Uh, And you may say, Lord, I want you to keep this alive for me. I I love it. Uh, Or you're an athlete. But the truth is, uh, there's going to come a time God is going to say no, and that is going to disappear. And you're going to need a grounding in Him to be able to sustain that, because there is a limit, and you too will become obscure and forgotten uh, one day by people of Earth. I mean, a generation from now, uh, your name will probably not be remembered. I mean, very few are. Even presidents, we barely remember their names. Kids have to memorize their names in school, and uh, so if you're being stopped by God, and and you're being you're frustrated and you're depressed. What I want to invite you to do is is surrender like David, bow before mystery uh, and, and then trust him. You know, I, for some reason I thought about this this morning about folks I went to uh, seminary with and, you know, seminary you know, is three years. It's, it's a it's very challenging, a lot of work. And. Uh, some of the guys just were very, and, and women were, were frustrated having to wait. And I can think of a couple in particular. Like, I was, they wanted to get started doing something because we're just sitting here studying, studying, studying. And a couple, like, just got impatient and just boom, uh, you know, started pastoring churches, like, almost immediately. And uh, they, they, in a sense, the limit of God saying, just be patient. This is a time for preparation and study, and it's not a time for, for doing. And ended up, decades later, regretting that and having, I remember having conversations with them. I used to always wonder, why does God keep putting me in in, in unhealthy situations under authority that uh, doesn't seem to be know what they're doing? This happened to me up to my early 30s, before I actually started our church, New Life Fellowship Church, and I found out much later why God did it, because God wanted to teach me to be under authority before he had me be in authority, but uh, I, I bucked it. And that's why we say, God, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. So listen, God built you to dream, to have a vision for a preferred future. David is a dreamer, uh, but God will not be bought off. God will not be controlled and God will not be domesticated. Uh, Any attempt to manipulate God is a disaster, but he will do more for you than you ever even asked. But please, we need you to lead. But the limits that God's going to put around you along the way are his gifts are are grace disguised for you and for your formation, development, and all that God's doing around you. But David didn't just bow before God, you know, the mystery of God just saying no to him, you're not building the temple, uh, when it looked like he had. it was definitely a great opportunity for him. But he just trusted that God was good. You know, is God who he says he is? Is God good? Can can I believe that? Can I trust him? And, and, uh, you know, you can trust him. Uh, And uh, again, this is not, kindergarten faith. This is grad-level faith when God says no. And uh, do you remember, God said no to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and uh, But again, we can always go back to the cross and Jesus every time God says no. But out of the cross and that no came yes and a resurrection. And out of every embrace of limits, there is a new beginning. God's in charge. He's working out his purpose. It's all his love for you. And God sees all of history. He sees his goal for you. And sometimes all you do is see God's back. If you know the story in Exodus 37, Moses says, God, show me your glory. And the Lord says, I'll let you see my back. You know, in other words, uh, whenever something in the universe strikes us as ugly and stupid and absurd, and the reason is our understanding and our breadth of knowledge is just too narrow to perceive what God is doing because God's painting on a massive canvas over time. And only in hindsight can we see it. David understood this, and he was able to stop. He was able to bow before mystery, trust God's goodness, take God's no. And because God was doing something so much bigger than David could ever have imagined in his lifetime. And I want to say the same thing to you. God's doing something so much bigger, so much greater in your life and through you and through your leadership than you can ever imagine if you'll stop and just do it his way. And so whatever your limits are at this season of your life, again, whether you're caring for a special needs child or an aging parent or working through your own recovery or you find yourself, you're emotionally fragile, you've got scars from your family of origin or you've got physical limitations in your body or your season of life or your capacities or your age or your past failures, whatever they might be, financially, your personality, you can add to that list. I want to invite you not to feel shame or hide them, but to offer them to God, serve out of those places, lead out of it. God will break you along the way and you will find God's grace in disguise and he will do something great with your life. We do need you to lead. We need leaders in every field of work and influence, but we want you to do it Jesus's way, not the world's way. So let me invite you again, get serious about discipleship because what leadership is, is discipleship intensely and seriously applied on a high level. So join us on this journey that we call Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Get the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Leaders Kit from our website. Get trained on how to use it because you do need training on how to use it. It's not plug and play. And then do it. Find some people and do the course, part one and part two, because you have to get into it to get it from the inside. And limits is underlies, and is underlies the entire, both courses, and it actually is the theology of God's greatness that fills it. And so I, I, I want to just close with this little story from uh, the last battle of C.S. Lewis for perspective for you, and uh, where uh, the, the Chronicles of Narnia is the end of the books, and these kids uh, have, you know, they're not, they see Aslan now, the the stars of the, uh, Lucy and her family and Edmund and Peter, they're now seeing Aslan. It's the end of the story. And then it says this what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, for them, it was only the beginning now. They're basically going to enter heaven here. All this was only the beginning of a real story. All their life in this world and all the adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And I just love that. Think of all of your earthly life as just the cover and the title page. But when you see him face to face, it'll begin chapter one of your great story, of your eternal life, the rest of your eternity with Jesus. But no one on earth has read it. And it's going to go on forever and ever. And every chapter is going to be better than the one that was before it. It's such a beautiful image of C.S. Lewis about our lives. Keeps everything in perspective. So as God brings limits to you along the way, embrace them. Say, yes, Lord, and let him take that and weave something beautiful in it for it for you. So go to once again to emotionallyhealthy.org, uh, our website, visit us, join us on our mailing list. And it's just great to be with you. God bless you. I look forward to being with you again soon.